Welcome to Philosophy Jam. I'm Ricky. I'm Chell. And we're both philosophy PhD candidates at Indiana University. A philosophy Jam is a conversational space to bring your philosophical hunches and early work in progress before it's all footnoted and bulletproof. Uh, let's see if we can walk away a little clearer on what we think is actually true. Today I'm presenting a project in early stages about the differences between our values in games and our values in real life. Joe, thanks for joining the Jam. Happy to be here. Okay, so here's my hunch. And this goes off of work by T. Wen, which is really cool. And one thing he emphasizes is that our game values tend to be clear. So in chess, checkmate is good. And checkmate is when I check your king and you have no legal move to get out of it. So in chess, we have wins, losses. There's also draws, but it's never in dispute when I've beat you, right? Just look at the board. So I want to build on this and add a few other things that I've noticed about our game values. Uh, first, our game values tend to be calculable. And so chess is a great example. In chess, we take turns. On my turn, I'm moving one thing and I know how all the pieces work. So I can look ahead and calculate as far as possible and see what can happen if I move my queen here. But what's weird is that if my values are clear and they're calculable, then they're maximizable. Because really, chess is a game about efficiency. Like we're seeing who can checkmate the other person first. And so if I'm out here wasting moves, that's bad. If I'm blundering my queen, that takes me way further away from checkmating you first. And so in chess, there's a notion of perfect play where you don't make any mistakes. You always find the most efficient move. And it's theorized that if both players play chess perfectly, it would be a draw, but no one knows because even our best computers can't look that far ahead. Uh, anyway, the idea here is that our game values tend to be clear, calculable, and maximizable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so, though I'm not quite clear on exactly what calculation means is it does it require that there has to be a single quote-unquote best move mm, that's good yeah and chess sometimes maybe multiple moves are equally good like i can checkmate you this way or that way it's a tie uh but calculable just means that my actions in the game are cleanly accessible like, the contrast is in real life. When I try to do something in real life, who knows how my actions are going to work? But the game defines the actions for me. It says, move your knights in L's. I can do that every time. There's no question about it, right? Even if a game says, roll a die, I know it's going to be one through six or whatever. So I can make some educated assessments of what's possible in the game space, right? Yeah, so just less variables, basically. 
Yeah, and it's clear how I intervene and what will happen. Yeah, yeah. Clear what your options are. Well, does it mean... Okay, so we we can take this as like a <laughs> like a stupid little math problem, right? Calculability plus clarity equals maximizability, right? Does that... Does that like... I mean, it doesn't seem like it necessitates. We have to maximize. Well, so even if maximizing isn't like required it's better because more good is better than less good and so when we say who's the best chess player in the world it's this guy magnus carlson who keeps checkmating everybody and he even has a little elo rating that's a number right and the formula is slightly arbitrary but we accept the results as tracking the things we care about pretty well but now if we say Who's the greatest of all time? Is it Magnus Carlsen or is it Gary Kasparov? In basketball, is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And now we have different values we can ask about. I can say, do you care how good someone was at their peak? Or do you care about their career longevity? Hmm. And how do you combine these? What exactly do we care about? Are we really maximizing on a single thing? And so some of our game values, we already have to make qualitative arguments. So if you're like, all I care about is peak, and I go, why? You're going to have to say, well, we want to see chess played at its very best because that's the highest standard of excellence. You know, we're going to have to do something like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So even in these quantitative systems, you'll start to make qualitative moves. And even between games, like chess is kind of a toy example. Uh, basketball is super interesting because it's way less calculable. Uh, say we have two perfect basketball teams. Do they score every time or never? Yeah. Like, I don't even know what we're talking about at that point. Uh, basketball is less calculable, even though it's a points-based game where it's clear what's good. But are you shooting a three every time and getting fouled for four-point plays or... Is it faster to dunk and steal it back? Like, I don't know what perfect play looks like for basketball because it's less calculable, and so it's less maximizable. There's also not turns. I mean, there's, like, possessions, which are sort of like turns, but, I mean, like, not really. It's not like, okay, I dribble and walk one step forward, <laughs> and then, you know, you move one step back. You know, and we proceed up the court to the other end right after inbounding the ball or whatever, right? So there's not, it's like fluid. And that's not to say like chess isn't fluid, because I guess it is. I mean, I don't know, I'm not an expert, right? But you can watch people play like speed chess and it's just constant. But there's still like, you can sort of at any point just stop and say, okay, like what would be the best thing to do here? Right. But I don't know what that would mean in basketball, right? Like, you just freeze frame, like, like obviously, like, I don't know, there's two seconds on the clock, and you're down two. It's like, okay, what would be the best thing to do here? Well, if you have someone who can shoot threes, probably get the ball to them, right? Maybe Steve Kerr or something, right? Like, pretty <laughs> good shot, you're going to win that game. But, like, other than that, I don't know, like, once you inbound the ball, like, where do you... I don't even know how you would pause it, right? Like, huh. 
basketball is weird and possessions are sort of like turns but i've made a few basketball card and board games in my time and if you've been in my orbit i've made you play something at some point right and it is always a bit weird to take something as fluid as basketball and try to chunk it into more calculable pieces and choices yeah yeah and so here's where this is going is our game values tend to be clear and calculable and maximizable. And that's why I started by talking about chess. Right. But in real life, our values aren't like that. <laughs> so say I'm thinking about justice. You know, checkmate is when you're in check and you can't legally get out of it. What's justice? <laughs> legally. Oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unjustly get out of checkmate. <laughs> You know, okay, so the rules of chess are written down, right? But what are the rules of perfect justice? And again, I don't even know what that means, right? Like our chess values are clear, calculable, maximizable. Our basketball values are at least clear, but you can't just maximize justice, right? It's not just that we're less clear on what justice is, what it requires, right? But it's less calculable, like how our actions in real life will redound through history. Yeah. You can't just design a perfect state and have no problems, right? And so it's much less clear whether this maximizing game even makes sense for our real life values like justice. Right. Without some kind of artificial imposition of a simplicity, clarity. Yeah, you could make it more like a game. Yeah, to yeah. To make a score make more sense. Yeah, like justice points. What would that be? <laughs> I have no idea, right? Like, well, don't, I mean, actually, don't we try to do? I mean, there's, like, okay, there's, like, there's bad metrics. Things like GDP, right? Right. Which, has, I, you know, it's not even clear, honestly, to me why we should care about GDP, right? GDP could go up, like, astonishingly in a year, and yet, like, everyone except for really rich people are poor because all of the gains keep going to them, right? Like, GDP is mm -hmm. consistent with that, so it's sort of, like, justice neutral or something, hmm. right? Yeah, interesting. But then there's, like, other measures that people try to do where it's, like you know, the International Happiness Index or, you know, something, right? And, like, Finland is, like, always at the top. They're really happy, even though it's, you know, dark for 18 hours a day sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that seems, like, more qualitative, but you can still sort of get some kind of, like, weird ranking out of it, right? But even if you make these quantitative scores, we still, just like with the GOAT conversation, we have to make qualitative arguments to justify uh, the things we're measuring, how we're measuring them, what to do with these metrics to try to push them forward. Like at every level of design and implementation, you're still forced to make other kinds of arguments. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we just say the goat is whoever has the most rings, right? Isn't that like Robert Ory or something? It's Bill Russell, but he Bill played Russell. against lesser competition in the 60s, so most people don't have Bill. Yeah, but he's, he's, got, he's got the rings, right? I mean, it must be. Okay, so how plausible is the rings argument, right? So in something like chess, there's basically one value, right? It's this efficiency metric we've been talking about, how well I'm doing at checkmating you first. And of course we bring our other values with us, so like... 
I'll do the beautiful checkmate instead. That's what we want. We want the beautiful checkmate, not a boring one or whatever. Yeah, they're both tied as far as chess is concerned, but we have a preference. Yeah. But most of our value conflicts aren't like this. So in the GOAT discussion, when we're talking about peak versus career longevity, right, there's not one value for us to maximize on. In real life, we have to make sacrifices because, you know, instead of just making trade-offs to get as many rings as we can, that's not what we think the GOAT is. That's ring chasing. Right. Whenever we're faced with choices in our life about what to do, take Dame Lillard. Do I stay in Portland and never win a ring? Or do I try to jump ship and go somewhere else to get one? Right. Like, you're going to have to make a sacrifice here that's genuinely uncompensated. Like, he'll lose something. He'll lose either being in Portland forever, which he said in the past he wants to do, or he'll lose the chance to compete on a higher stage than his cheap team ownership will let his underpaid team reach, right? And I think a lot of our value conflicts are like this, uh, like at the airport between liberty and security. Oh my God. <laughs> we have to lose something. Like if you want to just be free, let everyone walk onto the plane. Or if you want to be secure, Maybe we shouldn't have planes at all because people can do things with them that are bad. But like, we have to negotiate something. It's not a maximization problem in the way that chess has a single underlying value. So there's always a calculable best move. Like I think in real life, we have to make choices about who we want to be and what kind of society we want to live in. And suddenly we're like, virtue theorists we're not doing a math problem anymore and deferring to what the numbers say we're thinking about what virtues we want to enact in our lives and that's going to put us in charge of assessing these sacrifices rather than the numbers i think i like that dope maybe hmm. um but I don't know. Well, I, I mean, how do you decide which virtues are which, right? Which are the ones you want, which are the ones you don't want, right? Like, that seems like fairly clear in a chess player. You don't want, you want someone analytical, if that's a virtue. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Sure. Seems like yeah. it could be. You don't want someone who's very easily bored if there's not a lot of, like, action going <laughs> on. Yeah. You want someone open-minded to new possibilities, patient. Uh, yeah, careful. but then in basketball, you know, okay, do you want someone fast? Well, you want some fast people. You want some, mm. you know, right? Like, you know, but you also want some, you know, Shaquille O'Neal's, right? Ooh. A big man. He's slow, but he's going to, you know, get into the paint and rough people up and score 35 points. Hmm. But notice all these game virtues are just useful for getting what the game tells you to do. We're still talking about instrumental value, as philosophers say. So, like, if you're an open-minded chess player, it's useful for you because it'll help you see cool possibilities and wonky gambits that no one else is even looking for. And then you might find a more efficient route. And in basketball, if you're fast, it's like, well, that helps you outscore the other team. Yeah, well, uh, okay, that's fair. You're right. Um, I was thinking more that, like, 
So the virtues you're going to want are sort of going to depend on who's already in society or whatever, right? I mean, if your society is filled with just finance majors or something, right? Okay. Everyone just pursues money all the time. It might not matter what virtues you have uh, if you can't, you know, I don't know, have enough like food to eat or something. Right. If you're like very, if you're a very kind person in a society of like psychopaths and they're all just taking advantage of you, so, I mean, things are going to seem like virtues some of the time and they're going to seem like vices other times, partly depending on what other people there are, but also partly just depending on sort of like the institutions and stuff. Right. Are you thinking like what kind of institution develops this sort of happiness metric? I'm thinking, like, what does it even mean when they're talking about, like, the ranking of, like, Finland's at the top and America's, like, 20th and, you know, Germany's 10th or, you know, whatever, right? Like, does that mean, like, the average Finnish citizen is, like, happier than the average German and the average German's happier than the average American, whatever? Or is it supposed to be some sort of, like, aggregate or something? I I assume it's more like an average, which as a one number summary of a distribution, averages are just terrible. I think I'd rather know the median. (laughs) I think that's a better measure. Right. Right. Well, I mean, like the rich, rich people are going to be real happy. Right. But even median you can game. It's like, all right, we'll have 40% slaves. The other 60% will live lives of leisure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like. What number are you going to put that doesn't ultimately rely on these qualitative arguments? And if you defer to this number more and more, even if it clothes itself in this value-neutral language of like, oh, it's the GDP, it's the economy. It's like, actually, this is making a lot of decisions for us as if it were the one ultimate value that we care about at the expense of everything else. But yeah, that is weird, though, right? The... uh... Like the move from political economy to economics as we know it is like, right, Adam Smith talking about, you know, all sorts of things, right? And he's, it's not like he's, he's pretending to approximate that value-free ideal or whatever, right? I mean, right. he's concerned with things like standards of living and taking care of, you know, people who can't care for themselves and right there's you know concerns with like freedom and security and all this stuff right he's a moral philosopher hell yeah he's a moral philosopher and then you but then you get the value neutral language right so that's like one turn but then the other turn that you were saying is the like the move where the you know the value neutral whatever it is gdp or whatever then like takes the place of something like happiness or it's like, well, you know, if we, we don't want to talk about things like happiness or morality or whatever, because that's, you know, wishy-washy, hard to quantify, you know, we can't have any sort of values when we're doing science, as if economics is actually a science. But then it, like, takes on that, like, um, it takes on, like, the functional role or position of it, right? Is this, like, well, everything is ultimately in service of some quantitative number that's at least on its face sort of a neutral kind of you know scientific notion or something 
Well, even GDP by its own standards, by just adding everything up, it erases, like, distributions. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. So even by your own quantified standards, you're making choices about what does and doesn't matter. Right. And by doing it by country, that's very interesting, like, at yeah. a political level. Yeah. It's a weird number to get hung up on. It's all going to the rich people, but don't worry. GDP's going up. We know the economy's working. Yeah, we should expect that the metrics in our public discourse uh, benefit certain people with entrenched yeah. advantages under the current system. That's why we're led towards them. Right. So is this what, right, like, so T. Wynn talks about value capture, mm-hmm. right? And Olufemi Tewo talks about elite capture and stuff. Is this, like, a part of that? This sort of like phenomena where we move from values to talking about these like seemingly neutral quantitative things, and then from there, mm. we we right we move back and treat these things as though they are like ultimate goals or ultimate ends. Yeah, so this is like the thesis of seeing like a state by James C. Scott. He's like, as states get more ambitious, like in Europe in the 18th, 19th centuries. They start wanting to do more stuff. And so you need to collect information. And now you're a bureaucracy trying to plan things from above. And so you're actually shaping the world, not just in accordance with your measurements, but in order to make it easier to measure and control. And so there's something about the exercise of power that requires certain forms of knowledge that can be context-free and travel well, so you can make decisions from above. And that just leads you into this quantifying, like, oh, we need to get some statistics. Yeah. You know, how many people do I have? How much do I tax folks? What's the standard measurements? All this stuff. What's the mortality rate? And so I think this quantifying regime is a very top-down mechanism of control that strips us out of these contextual conversations that we actually right. want to have about our values that would involve everyone. Makes it hard too to see how the values would even like, like how do you in, even insert them back in, right? I mean, where does it, you know, we're talking about GDP and mortality rates and, uh, you know, I don't know, interest rates at the Federal Reserve. And it's like, okay, how do we... Like, for one, you have to know how these are affecting, like, actual people, right? Like, well, you know, it's not enough to know that if the Fed raises interest rates, like, a quarter of a point, it's going to juice our GDP to grow, you know, like, 1.9% next year instead of 1.8. Oh, God. Right? Like, this is still just, like, the neutral mathematics language of just of the universe of, like, physics or, you know, some kind of, like, scientific thing. But it's like, okay, what does that actually mean for people, right? Like, what actual, like, political decisions are we making here? And right. what, are they, what do they have to do with, like, democracy, happiness, you know, whether or not people are able to, like, live meaningful lives or you know like whatever it happens to be mm-hmm. right and then those questions are just like well they're really hard to quantify so we're just gonna like ignore them in favor of these other abstractions so here's the thesis of theodore importer's book trust in numbers he says look experts develop these metrics and they often have a pretty good handle on their weaknesses in private conversation but then under like 
democracy. There's this politics of mistrust where numbers give you the appearance of objectivity and value neutrality. And so over time, you might defer more and more to them, right? The policymakers are like, we need to drive the numbers down because I can tell my constituents about the poverty rate or whatever. Yeah. Well, or like things like we talk about the crime rate a lot, right? Yeah. Like, is it oh going up God. or is it going down? It's like, well, I don't know. Personally, I'm not any less safe than I seemed to be before, or at least it hasn't really made it plain to me that, you know, well, the crime rate is like one percentage point higher than last year. Like, I don't even know what that means, frankly. Yeah. Like, what's my baseline? It's like, okay, is that like talk about statistical significance, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, that is a statistically significant uh, change in the data. Hmm. But like, all right, is that like, there's got to be other kinds of significance too, right? Like, yeah, is there's, this actually... a, there's low effect size. That's what this is. Yeah. Like, is it practically significant in the sense that anyone should make, <laughs> well, really any decision at all based on that? Like, I'm not well, sure it really. No, Joe, we're emphasizing crime rate so we can fund law enforcement. Well, like, right, this is right. Transparent. Come on, right. These are choices that we care about some numbers and not others. Right? True, true, true. But like it's only going to get worse. Like we live in a world that's getting more complex and interconnected all the time where everyone specializes, right? Like you can't know everything, so you have to defer. So if you defer to experts, you have to trust them. Yeah. And if you defer to numbers, you have to live with what those leave out. Yeah. And so, like, what are we going to do? Like, we have to come up with, of course, these are tough situations we're in, but there are costs to the numbers that should be recognized. Or, like, acknowledged, even. Yeah, right acknowledged would be like the bare minimum i think i'd be willing to accept you put on any news channel and it's just got the dow in the corner the entire time and it's yeah like, right yeah we have decisions here about what the news is right like what if we had the homeless rate in the corner all the time <laughs> exactly yeah like here's the estimated number of homeless people right now in the entire country or something Ooh, but talk about a tough number to estimate with all kinds right, of right. problems. You know what I mean? Like, but let's get started. So you just said that, like, correctly, obviously, that the world is increasingly complex and, you know, in some sense, right, bigger. There's always more to know. And it seems like there's always, you know, new stuff going on and you can't always know what's going on on the other side of the, the world, right? And, you know, experts are sort of needed at some level of complexity that, you know, it's just like unreasonable to ask everyone else to like attain a, you know, graduate level understanding of say economics. That's just unreasonable. Right. Right. Like that would be ridiculous. And then, so like, you know, the, then you're like, well, then we have to defer and that involves trust and da, 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 da. But there's also like something weirdly paradoxical about it, because as the world gets more and more complex, it seems like we're forced to rely on oversimplifications more and more and more. Uh -huh. Right. Or at least we do, whether or not we have to. Right. Like our political discourse seems like it has gotten just shallower and shallower. And maybe it's just always been shallow. And I'm, you know, looking backwards with rose tinted lenses or something. But it just seems like 
you know, anything that you know, the more you know about something, the more you notice, like, how just pathetically simplified, oversimplified and shallow, like, political discussions about that thing are, right? Yeah. And that's, like, weird. The world's getting more complicated. Like, this is, like, the worst possible time for, like, oversimplification. <laughs> but, like, I, is this, like, an information overload thing? Or is it just, like, you know, we've set up institutions that have, you know, protecting certain interests? It's in the interests of, you know, wealthy people that, you know, poor uh you know blue collar people think that you know raising the minimum wage is going to destroy their entire lives or something right like is it just sort of like a benign unintended thing that we did all this oversimplification or is it more political ideological use out of things when you can dumb them down so to speak in a certain way so the world in other words is getting less and less calculable Ooh. And so we have to pull out more and more proxies. And some proxies are, what do the experts say? And some are, what do the numbers say? Right. But like, this is just a problem. <laughs> this is, and this is exactly when you would want to maximize less. And you would want to say, I have to become an expert, non-expert. Yeah. I have to get really good. I have to develop strategies to deal with my limitations as a knower. And the fact that I still have to make sacrifices, right? Yeah. And I think that's super cool. And it's, of course, a deeply political problem. It's like, yeah, how are you constructing your worldview and taking in knowledge about what's up and what matters? Of course, that's deeply political at its heart. Right. But this is why I love the virtue theory turn here is... Everyone defines wisdom in terms of something that can't be reduced to an algorithm or a formula, yeah. right? Something that you learn from practice, from being inculcated, being taught by wise people, right? And gaining a ton of experience, and then you decide what to do from there. But if we lean too much on a quantitative conception of value, where value is like a number, you're trying to make it go up. Say that I base my policy decisions on trying to raise the happiness metric, right? Yeah. That will make all the sacrifices for me. Like, now I'm not making decisions. I'm deferring to what the numbers say and basically gaming the metric. So now I'm engaged in something other than the practice of wisdom. I'm calculating out my response. And I think there's something deeply deficient about this tendency that like we see in effective altruists. These are people who want to do the most good they can. And so at first they were sending money to Africa for bed nets. And now they're sending money to AI safety research in case AI takes over the world and keeps trillions of future human beings from ever existing. Well, actually some of them want to replace humans with more computationally efficient hedonists, but whatever. Don't you want to attain perfection? <laughs> You are so expensive to keep happy. It's hard to make you keep producing value. Well, we have to go to Mars, too. There's all sorts of possible happiness that we could be producing there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think something about thinking about value as a single quantity that you fill up the bar 
as opposed to seeing our values as in these conflicts where we have to make sacrifices and suffer genuinely uncompensated losses and just decide how we're going to do that. I think yeah. that's a much richer conception of what we actually care about when it comes down to it. Because everything is just down to this number and you just sort of do whatever it says. I mean, based on like limited information, of course, you're going to make mistakes and stuff, right? But there's no longer really, you're not making any significant choices. You're just like dumping all the info you have into this machine and then following orders, right? It's like a kind of domination of algorithms or something, right? It's kind of like if I was playing chess online and just cheated with an engine and did whatever it said. Ooh, yeah, you. Like, I'm missing the whole point of the practice. <laughs> and by the way, we don't know our values well enough to maximize anything plausibly. Like, we don't understand morality very well. Like, we just legalized gay marriage 10 years ago. Uh, desegregation was in living memory. You know what I mean? Like now we're deciding whether to recognize the rights of trans people. Like we are so early in the game of getting our shit together. I think it's really premature to start maximizing and cutting off possibilities because they don't make the number go up. Yeah, that sounds right. Right. I mean, suppose you try to maximize something and then, you know, later on where you're like, oh, actually, uh, animals matter morally. Right. Because, I mean, we, we don't really. <laughs> Oops. treat them as, as if that were true right now right and you're like well now you've been maximizing like human happiness for forever and that probably involves like a lot of bacon <laughs> yeah right. right right and even if you're like uh, i know what i'll do i'll maximize inquiry it's like dude people are starving right now what are you oh yeah you're just gonna wait until you have it all figured out what to maximize like, you can't do that either what are you doing? Like the boat's sinking. You can't just like try to design a blueprint for a new boat and then. Yeah, I really like that analogy. We're in the boat, you know, we're patching stuff up. We're limping along. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it's like Quine's the Neurath's boat analogy, but different because like we're actively sinking. <laughs> oh, like, no, we're sinking now. Stop looking for new blueprints. Oh. Quit it. Patch things. That's what's so weird is like this maximizing quantifying framework is like from a bureaucratic point of view like i can optimize from above i can optimize how the factory workers are efficient i can get this university's ranking up you know it's just taking one thing and trying to push that number and it forsakes all the other things that it can't see that the number hides right uh, that's why no one likes bureaucracy right 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 so, uh that's my current project on the dangers of maximizing and I think it rests on this conception uh, that there isn't just one thing that matters, there's a bunch. And so to navigate those sacrifices, we need to think about what kind of people we want to be and how we want to live. And that's a totally different conception of value than trying to get the number up. Yeah, because we want too many different things. We don't even know how to weigh them against each other really very well. Right, even the word weigh sounds like a quantitative analogy, but I'm with you. Like, we do have to weigh our options, but not in that way, sense. Yeah, it's not like I'm putting happiness on the scale and then, you know, like, well, I, what, I don't know what goes on the other side. Like, That's three pounds of happiness, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, but one, but I also have 17 ounces of respect over here. Ooh. Okay, I have no idea how to wrap these up or, like, what to do now.
This has been Philosophy Jam. I'm just saying stuff I can edit in any order. We could thank all of our Patreon subscribers. Oh, yeah. Hi, here's Kit meowing. Hello. Uh, Kit would like me to thank all our Patreon subscribers. Thank you. <laughs> and, I love that. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'll now name all our Patreon subscribers. Kit. Oh, hi, Kit. That's that's Kit. Uh, that's my little kitty cat. Um, also, uh, Philosophy Jam is uh, produced by uh, me and my house. And I'd like to thank the feeders for letting us use a bit of uh, their song, Kerchoo. Ooh, yeah, that's right. I don't know if that's how you end a, a podcast. I think like other was that I've seen like the music starts to fade in as mm -hmm. the conversation kind of like, well, yeah, that was really interesting. Thank you for being blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Chell. This is really helpful. Like, I think yeah, I'm no, like I think genuinely, really like I have a better sense of what I'm arguing and what's at the core of it.